Welcome to this week's podcast. I'm Mickey Badlamenti, discipleship pastor here at Rock Point Community Church. Our goal in the messages we share is to consistently present God's truth in ways that will challenge you, bring you new perspective, and ultimately lead you into closer relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you in your faith. We also welcome you to visit us anytime you're in the Detroit area. Our Sunday services are at 9 and 11 a.m. and include a full range of children's programs, as well as a ministry specifically for children with special needs. Find us on Facebook or visit our website at rockpoint.org for more information. It was September 13th, 1848, and a very bright and abilityed young man was the foreman of a railroad crew who was blasting away through the mountains of Vermont. He had done this job many times, drilled a hole inside the wall of the mountain, filled it with blasting powder, um, put some sand behind that, and then had used a iron bar to uh, tamp it down so the blast would be directed into the mountain. In the process of this day, though, as he was tamping the hole, some of his crew behind him, he was distracted and he turned to engage them. And when he did that, one of the most incredible um, things occurred in the history of mankind. This morning we're talking about reconstructing your faith in the midst of offense. And I know that you have had your seat. I know that you have settled into that soft, sweet spot and are gently drifting away. But I'm going to ask you to stand one more time, please, for the reading of the word. Reading in Romans chapter 12, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud. But will be willing to associate with people of low position? Do not be conceited. I think that's saying maybe you're the one of a low position, possibly. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, this passage, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, do not, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written... It is mine to revenge, I'll repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Father, I pray that you would anoint the reading of your word and that you'd anoint our hearts and our minds to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. May be seated. A friend of mine uh, of some length of time, decades we've been in a relationship now, gave me a mug during this recent season of time. And um, it's covered with all sorts of different phrases and quotes in different fonts. So they gave this mug to me. And I'll read some of it to you. Beetle-headed, flap-eared knave. Tinker blossom. Poisonous bunch-backed toad. Mountain of mad flesh. Light of brain. Bolting hutch of beastliness. Not so much brain as earwax. Long-tongued babbling gossip. Thou art a boil, a plague, a sore. The various varlet that ever chewed with a tooth. 
All eyes and no sight. All the infections that the sun sucks up. Lump of foul deformity. Infinite and endless liar and hourly promise breaker. Um, Let's see. I do not desire that we may be better strangers. I'm not sure what they're trying to tell me. But I don't think it's good. Um, they did it as a joke, and I, I thought it was hysterical. And I'm reading this thing. That there's, there's a half dozen more. I mean, they're just, uh, you know, incredible. Um, this shirt I saw on one of my sons not too long ago, and it stood out to me. I thought I should wear it this day. Uh, when is it my turn to be offended? We have just gone through a season of time as a people in this country that has been challenging, to say the least. Two years of getting together less often, or not at all, with friends in person, have created new tensions in relationships. Psychologists have been commenting on this, and they're saying that we are now more sensitive to slights And we're out of practice navigating conflicts. Being left out even by accident, they say, can make us feel um, more insecure. One doctor, Dr. Franco, says, quote, When we're lonely, we are hypervigilant to social threats. Our minds go into overdrive, overthinking things, thinking a friend is rejecting us or reinterpreting events in our friendships more negatively. We are in a time as a country where we've taken offense more than ever before, even before this stuff broke into play. We get behind our keyboards and we rip off lines and statements that we'd never say in public. We post things. We attack and have been attacked. And so increasingly it's not unusual then to find that the trend increasingly in this country is not to have corporate worship, as we said a few weeks ago, despite the benefits of things that the social scientists tell us, not to mention scripture, but that we are isolating increasingly. And one of the issues that we have to address if we're talking about reconstructing our faith and gathering back together, and if the first step, as we said last week, is, is to actually gather, or if it gathered, then to at least participate and worship and serving. And, and if we've never even accepted that our sin and our, our issue before God to resolve that, then the next step is to say, how do we function and do this together after all this time and space and all these other conflicts and all these other changes And do this in the midst of offense. Because in coming back together again, it is inevitable we're going to be offended at one point in time or another. By being in relationship with one another, we are always in the process of either about to be or being or having been offended. This is part and parcel of human relationships. It's part of being married, which is why people increasingly are dodging even marriage. Because there's a challenge in this. This passage of Scripture in Romans asks us to live in harmony with one another. That, that is possible, as far as it is possible with us, to the degree that we're able to, to live at peace with one another. How do we handle that? This actual passage where it says, don't repay anyone evil for evil, and, and where it says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good, was a critical passage for Martin Luther King Jr. in his fight against racism. Over and over again, you'll see him sitting here and and saying, look it, you can't win evil 
with more evil. Only by good can we do that. You can't overcome hate with more hate, but only by love can you overcome hate. And he was drawing directly from the scripture and the, and the, the, the horrible offenses that he and others had to take just simply because of a different color. Despite all the variance of differences that we have here today, culturally, racially, ethnically, nationally, uh, status-wise, educationally, whatever the case is, if we're coming together in corporate worship, then we're saying that we're the church of Jesus Christ, and there is something that we have in common, regardless of the disparities, and that is that the Spirit of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, is supposed to reside in some way in each one of us. That is a connecting point for us. It is a constant that should militate against offense and separation. And yet, some offenses penetrate so deep within us that it doesn't seem like any reconciliation is possible. That's the beauty of having multiple churches. We don't have to stay together. We can go to another church. There's one that way, there's one that way, there's one right down the road that way. And so if you're really offended and we're really upset, we can just walk away. We don't all have to live together. And I've seen that. And I've seen people do that in marital relationships too. And somewhere about the fourth or fifth divorce, I try to point out gently to them that there's a constant in this situation. (laughs) And it's them. And not their, their multiple partners over the years. And that's usually where our relationship ends. There are several ancient writers that advise us in this time. One is an anonymous 4th century worker that says it's a church worker that says it's often better to stay put and work through it. He writes this. If a trial with other people comes upon you in the place where you live or worship, do not leave that place when the trial comes. Wherever you go, you will find that what you are running from is ahead of you. So stay until the trial is over, so that if you end up leaving, no offense will be caused, and you'll not bring distress to others who live in the same neighborhood or fellowship. In the 12th century, Anselm of Canterbury compared a restless believer to a tree that can't thrive because it's, quote, frequently transplanted or often disturbed. Anselm warned this. He said, if he often moves from place to place at his own whim or remaining in one place is frequently agitated by hatred of it, he never achieves stability with roots of love. And so there is something about deepening and staying in place and and fellowshipping together, even if we have points and times of annoyance. Some of the, the most interesting learning experiences I've had in church leadership has been working with other leaders who maybe at times I don't always gel with fully. But we are committed to one another. I remember one when I was back in my youth days in, in, in youth ministry. Name, her name was Gina. And she was a, a, a Texan who just graded me the wrong way. But she loved young people, and she was a powerful and effective leader. And as much as there was a, a, an annoyance at times in the struggle of leadership there, I was a better leader because of Gina. And I want to believe that she was because of me as well. 
Then in the processing through those things, because at the core we were committed to the body of Christ, at the core we were committed to those young people, at the core we wanted to see that nothing would ever damage them or do anything that would harm them. And so we came together to do those things, and we learned from each other in the process. Do we learn from each other? Do we grow through those things? Challenge is going to be part of the deal. We've said in this church over the years that we discuss things vigorously, not violently. We've never had a split. We've never had anyone throw a punch in a meeting. We've never had anyone cuss one out or scream or yell or, or, or get in an angry deal. We just had an annual business meeting, what, two weeks ago or so. And I'll be honest, every time I approach a business meeting because of my background, I have a mild PTSD. Because where I grew up in, those were often contentious things. If you become a member and you come to one of our members meeting, you're not gonna you're gonna find yourself laughing so hard. We have a fun time. Weird, going over finances and numbers, but but there's the spirit that's so great in that. So we'll discuss things vigorously. That's part of a community, but never violently. So if, if that's the case, then what happens, though, when I do find an offense penetrating my heart and my mind? What happens when I think someone has done something in such a way and it sticks in my head? Perhaps we should be like Job in Job chapter 7, verse 11, where he says, Therefore I will not keep silent. I will speak out in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. And we look here and say, that doesn't seem to be biblical. It's Job. It's in the Bible. But we say, well, that can't seem to be biblical because it's saying that I'm going to complain. I'm going to, I'm going to uh, um, you know, argue that there's something that's hurt me or offended me. I'm going to, what it's talking about here is, is the legitimate thing of, if, if I'm not sure, of going to a friend that I can trust, that I can have confidence in, that I can be able to, to at least express what I'm feeling. Rick Warren has a slogan that says, revealing your feeling is the beginning of healing. And so we shouldn't deny resentful feelings and just shove them down. Eventually they will explode. But if we can find that safe and, and confident friend and just say, here's what I'm experiencing it. And they'll tell us if they're wise, have you prayed about it? And if you haven't, then you go back and pray about it. But hopefully you've done that first. And then you come to them and, and you talk to them and they can give you counsel. And maybe just to unburden your soul, you know, I, I just need to get out of my system. You know, it just, it offended me, it hurt me, but you know what? It's, it's it done, it's out. And then you can continue on. And if your friend is wise, and if you've chosen wisely the friend, then this is someone who will also leave it there and not carry it on to another person. Did you know that Fred was really offended by something that was said the other day? Pass it on. (laughs) Hopefully this is an individual who's read Proverbs 17.9 that says, whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. And hopefully that friend is wise enough to sit here and take in your pain and your hurt and reflect to you love and caring and a kindness and not a vengeful spirit that settles your mind enough that you can continue on and does not spread that to other people. Perhaps this is an individual that you've chosen who has properly read Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 and 19 and properly understood it. Fascinating passage. One that it's important to any community. It says there are six things that the Lord hates. Seven that are an abomination to him. Another translation says, and one more that he loathes with a passion. 
Okay, we want to know, what are the six things God hates? Haughty eyes. Kind of an arrogant look. I'm looking down at everyone. A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. We're talking murder here. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that make haste to run to evil. A false witness. Whenever you say that that way, you have to say evil. You know, you can't say evil because they're running to evil. Running to evil. A false witness who breathes out lies, which means someone could be imprisoned or executed for that. These are horrible things. And God says, I hate these things. But you know what really wires me? Torques my wires and I want to just... One who sows discord among brothers. There's been times that I've had to deal with situations that have required a level of confidence. And then others have shared that information or material, and I can't speak to it. And they put their own twist on it. But I can't speak to it because I'm bound under those issues of confidence. But it causes discord and, and problems and, and all sorts of issues. Unless it's, ever, unless it's ever brought up, it's never able to be addressed. Hopefully whoever we go to in our hurt and in dealing with this understands about covering an offense and that it seeks love, that understands that's not something to be shared and discoursed with other individuals so that it causes discord amongst a community or amongst a relationship to the point where that resentment that, that maybe started and wasn't even known now grows. Resentment is when you let your hurt become hate. Resentment is when you allow what is eating you to eat you up. Resentment is when you poke, stoke, feed, and fan the fire, stirring the flames and reliving the pain. Resentment is the deliberate decision to nurse the offense until it becomes a black, furry, growling grudge. Max Licato in the applause of heaven. So hopefully you go to a friend that has, has mitigated that, has not caused that to be carried on so that it stirs in someone else or has worked with us in such a way that it's able to resolve within our own heart and within our own mind. What happens if we've walked that path through and, and it's still something that is stirring within us? We, we haven't been able to let it go. The counsel of a good friend, prayer and quietness has not settled it. Something still stirs within us. Matthew 18 has a process for that. It says if your brother or sister sins, go and find out their, point out their fault. Just between the two of you, if there's something they've offended you with or that you've seen them sin on or has sinned against you, go and talk to just that person. Keep it there. If they listen to you, you've won them over. But if you come with a gang, it can, it can force them into a corner that they won't respond to. So go one-on-one. Then it says if they won't listen, then take one or two. Someone neutral, not your posse. Someone that would be acceptable as, a, as an arbiter. That every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. And when it says tell them to the church, it doesn't mean that you stand up here any, any second now and say, yes, I have an offense. That person over there really bothers me. That's not what it's talking about. It says take it to the church. It's really talking about taking it to church leadership. Grab a pastor. Grab an elder. 
Say, look, I've tried going, I've tried, and there's still an issue stirring here. Years ago, when I was on staff here at the church, we had um, uh, we had a choir in the back here, and um, I was stepping up in the service to do the announcements, and I think then to receive offering. And I had just stepped up when I felt a tap on my shoulder, and one of the men had come out of the choir, full choir robe, come out of the choir and tapped me on the shoulder. He says, can I speak to the congregation? And I'm like, uh, you know, I'm just on staff here, man. <laughs> you know. So I look to my dad, and I'm like, what does he say? And he's like, yeah, let him go ahead. You know, dad, let anything go. Uh, and so this guy stood up, and he says, Earlier, I had caused an offense to a family member of mine out there, and, uh, um, and it was done publicly, and so he'd blown up at somebody and said, so now I must confess publicly, and he begins to share all this, and the person he had offended is now getting low in their seat because he named them, and all of us are very uncomfortable, and it was not the best time, and then he steps away, and I'm like, well, let's take offering, you know? I mean, it was just one of those <laughs> weird moments in life that... Stay with you forever. This line of inquiry and direction is meant to be private. It's meant to restore, not to expose. And it's meant to truly restore, not just make you feel good at the expense of others. And so this pattern is there if we can't resolve things in, in any of the other fashions that should be available to us. But today I want to take this in a much more impacting way to you today. I want to drive this point home to you in a clearer fashion because what happens if we walk through all of these situations? And we find ourselves in circumstances where where people attack us and you need to realize this. Sometimes when someone attacks you, it's not the issue or even you. Sometimes it's a bad marriage. Sometimes it's the issue at work. Sometimes it's something else that can be taking place, and you're just the target for it, and especially if you're in leadership or some other role. Or they may feel safe with you, and, and so you need to realize that. Now, sometimes it is you. Sometimes you are the one that's caused an issue. But we do need to recognize that hurt people often hurt people. Their vision is clouded and everything is an offense to them. And often this is rooted in some deep damage that's happened in their past that has marked them in such a way. It was September 13. It was 1848. And the young, bright, well-loved foreman is working on the crew, doing a job he had done many times before, using an iron um, tamping uh, pike on the order of this and he would have been on the mountainside and he would have taken the blunt end of it and he would have been tamping in the charge so that it would blow against the mountain properly he turned at one point distracted by some of his work crew and in that distracting moment something happened a spark lit off the charge and as he pounded home the pike, the charge exploded. And the iron bar went through the young man's cheek 
up through his eye and through his brain and exited all the way out. It literally blew right through his cheek, eye socket, and brain. Phineas Gage was conscious the entire time. He never lost consciousness. They took him um, by carriage, by buckboard, into town while the doctor worked on him the entire time conscious. Over the next couple of days, Phineas slowly recovered, and this was the remarkable thing that is rarely ever seen. He was completely healed and restored and continued to live his life. I first came across this case decades ago when I was studying in psychology because it's one of the classics of abnormal psychology because it's the first time we have an indicator of how the brain plays a role within personality because you see Phineas Gage, this likable, capable young man, lived and survived and functioned, but he was forever changed. And his friends would say he's no longer Gage. This man who was amiable and easy to get along with suddenly changed, and it said that he was gross, profane, coarse, and vulgar, which was not previously his custom, to such a degree that his society was intolerable to decent people, manifesting but little deference for his fellows, impatient of restraint or advice advice when it conflicts with his desires, and at times he was particularly obstinate. He lost vision in the one eye. And so this man, this event, and this iron bar blasting through his brain changed who he was and how he interacted with people. But here's what was particularly interesting to me is obviously that fact alone was fascinating. But another thing about Phineas, he carried the bar with him for the remainder of his life. At one point in time, he was with Barnum and Bailey Circus. He did a little tour in Europe. This thing that had changed who he was, this, this bar of offense that blasted through his brain and changed his personality, was something that he had an affection for. It became part of his identity. It had messed with his vision, it had messed with his personality, but he still couldn't let it go or release it. There are those of us in this room or that are listening by the stream that have had an offense so deep that while your body may have healed, your soul never did. And you bite and you snarl. There is something that has lodged in your brain that you just can't let go. It has made you unfit for society. It has made you antisocial. This passage of scripture that talks about taking a plank and you see the sawdust in your brother's eye but pay no attention to the plank in your own eye has never been more vividly illustrated. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. This offense, this issue that has gone so deep within you that has become part of your own identity. It has lodged in your brain. It has changed your personality and has actually become your identity. You carry it around with you and it defines you. It is your claim to uniqueness, to drama and attention. And it is slowly killing you. 
One songwriter wrote this at one point in time. says, what do you hold in your hand today? To what or to whom are you bound? Are you willing to give it to God right now? Give it up. Give it up. Let it go. Let it go. Throw it down. As we look at what we talked about here today, how do we lay that iron bar of offense down? How are we able to walk in peace? How can we take this plank and hurt that blinds us so much that we're picking on everyone else's little speck, unaware of the deep damage that we walk with? How do we release that? I have simply two scriptures to conclude with here today. And the first one is found in Isaiah chapter 44, verse 22. And God is speaking in this passion and says, I have swept away your offenses like a cloud. Your sins, they're like the morning mist just dissipating. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. We need to take those bars of offense that have so damaged us. And the starting point is that we lay them down at his altar. And once we can begin that process of recognizing the degree to which we have been redeemed, the degree to which we have been given grace, Phineas Gage lived and continued to live his life out. He survived. But at what cost? When you recognize the grace that is given you, when you recognize who you are in Christ, then you're able to go then only to the next passage of Scripture I would share with you, the last one of this day. Mark chapter 11, verse 25. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, what? And when you stand praying, you're before your God. And if you hold anything against anyone, what? When you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, one more time. So that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Once we recognize the grace given to us, then we recognize what we have to give to someone else. We have come out of a time period, friends, that has been so stressed, so damaged, so built in the conflict. We are not in a Christian culture. We are not a Christian nation. But we here are a Christian church. We are a fellowship bound by love and law and spirit. We are all of us saved by God's grace. We all bring our various bars of offense, things that have been done to us, things that we have done to others. But in this place, we lay them down before God and refuse to pick them up again. And so, when we're offended, we take it to God. 
if we're still offended, we discuss it with a close friend, hopefully one who has integrity. And then hopefully we have enough integrity within us to go privately to the person who has done that offense to us and to say, I'm sorry, but I need you to understand you damaged me and I need your help. I can't reconcile this without your help. If need be, even to go to that person that we've offended and say, forgive me for what have I done to you? I need to release this so that I can walk free. That line up there that says, forgive them. Go back to that last passage of scripture there. It says, when you stand and hold anyone, forgive them. There's no option in that. My grandfather, my uncles are around the table centuries back. And my grandfather would say to my grandmother, you know, Fred um, needs to go and do the grass. We should, if he feels like it, he should do the grass cutting. And then as he walks out, he would say, and he better feel like it. <laughs> this is not an optional statement. When you stand praying, if you're holding a, forgive them. This is a directive to us that we are supposed to take hold of. And after having done all those things, and we still recognize that there's something in me that is not right towards my brother or sister, but now I can't do anything about it. They won't talk to me. We're broken and we can't seem to do anything else to connect. I'm left with this hole blasted through my brain, but I don't want it to twist who I am in dealing with others around me. Then I go to my father and I say, God, you are my father and you are the father of this family. Forgive me my heartache. Because if I cannot have full reconciliation with my brother and sister, I must have full reconciliation with you. If there's anything left undone or unsaid, show it to me. I do not want to see our family split apart. I don't want to have anything of your disappointment upon me as the father of this family. And so I take it to him. And I ask him, heal me. Not just in my body, but in my mind and in my spirit. I don't want to carry this iron bar of offense around with me anymore. I want to lay it down and I want to let it go. Would you stand with me as a people today, please? And let us pray. Father, we come to you today as a mix of people and personalities. We have come out of a time period of, of affliction and conflict that seems to only be getting worse in many ways. 
but we are committed to following you. We recognize that we are individuals that despite everything we have done have been saved by your grace and we are in no way perfect. And so we come to you today with our brokenness because Lord, we want to walk together in fellowship and we know that at every point in time we are either in the midst of or will be or have just come out of offense of one time or another. And so this morning, Lord, we come to you as your children and we lay down these bars of offense at your altar. And we ask here, in these closing moments, that you would just simply meet with us. Just meet with your children. In Jesus' name. Jesus told a parable that he wanted to have a different ending to. So what if we gave him that ending? The parable has this servant going into Pahora, a mighty king, and the servant owes millions of dollars in debt. And the mighty king, as the, as the man throws himself prostrate and, and, and lays upon the king's grace, the king grants it. And the servant is forgiven, this massive debt. And the servant leaves the, the, the room, and, and then he encounters a fellow servant who owes him a pittance, just a small amount. And he's immediately caught with that. And in and, and his earlier spirit, he would have had that man thrown in jail. But instead, a different end. He turns and remembers what just happened and what has just been given him. So he turns to this fellow servant, and instead of raising his hand to strike, instead he sits here and says, by the same grace I had been given, I extend that to you. You're free, and I bind you no more. Let's give Christ the ending to that parable that he wanted, instead of the dire one that it was. Father, we come before your face And I pray, Lord, that as we continue to walk as a community, as offenses rise, that we would have the wisdom and the grace to walk through those things properly, that we could have these vigorous conversations, but never violent. That when someone shares something with us, that we would would cover it with grace and not pass it along to cause even more harm and and more damage, that we would eschew any gossip or, or things that would damage your body and separate Let us put a different ending to the parable that you brought forward. We come before your face, Lord. Guide us by your grace, we pray. In Jesus' name. And the church said.